0: Philip for bringing that reading to us. Good evening. Um, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Sarah Slater. I'm on the staff team here. I spend most of my life keeping the vicar in check. So it's great to be here tonight and to be here with you um, opening up this passage. Do please keep your Bibles open on page 1036 as we take a deeper look into this wonderful story of Jesus being anointed by the sinful woman. Now, I wonder if you have ever worn uh, rose-tinted spectacles. I don't mean literally, but rather seeing your world, your environment, or your situations through a rather unfocused lens. My son always puts on his rose-tinted specs when it comes to us having a conversation um, about the state of his bedroom. He never sees the mess in the way that I do. In fact, sometimes I do wonder if we're actually discussing the same room together. Now, the rose-tinted lens might be a very positive thing, helping us to see only the best in a person or a situation. But we might also don those specs when we don't want to see the reality of a situation, when we kid ourselves that things aren't really as they are When perhaps the truth is much more a shade of dark red than a rosy pink. And when we take a rose-tinted perspective, it's not just our vision that's affected. It changes our feelings, our attitudes, and even our heart. Not just what we see, but what we say and what we do. So tonight, we're returning to Luke's Gospel And this is the first in a sort of mini-series for the summer of Encounters with Jesus. And our passage tonight is going to bring together two very different people into a powerful encounter with Jesus. And we will see, both of them, see Jesus and themselves through very different lenses. We're going to look at the distorted view of the Pharisee. A view that distorts his ability to see the reality of who he is and who Jesus is in contrast to the startlingly clear view that the sinful woman has, both of herself and of Jesus. The Pharisee, who thinks he's doing everything right, looking down on both Jesus and the sinful woman. The sinful woman, who sees clearly her identity in relation to Jesus. And Jesus, who sees beyond words and actions and straight to the heart. But before we delve into this passage, let me just remind you a little bit about the lens that Luke looked through as he wrote his gospel. Luke was a well-educated Gentile and a doctor by profession. He was a second-generation believer, which meant he'd never personally met Jesus, but he knew people who had, and he was converted through the ministry of Paul. Paul. Luke had carried out extensive research and spoke to a lot of eyewitnesses in order to give this very detailed account of Jesus' ministry. And what was the lens he was looking through? Well, certainly not rose-tinted, but very Christ-focused. And as recorded in Luke, at the beginning, in chapter 1, verses 3 and 4, he said this, I myself have carefully investigated everything to write an orderly account, so that you may know the certainty for the things that you have been taught. He wrote his gospel with a very clear aim, to eliminate any doubt about Jesus being Lord and Saviour, so that people might wholeheartedly believe. So as we study these encounters with Jesus over the next few weeks in the summer, can I encourage you to put on Luke's glasses and keep asking yourselves a couple of questions, both tonight and through the summer as we look through Luke. What does this passage tell us about Jesus, and what does it mean to respond to him? Let's delve into this passage, but before we do, let me pray before we start. Father God, we thank you so much for the account recorded in Luke. Lord, thank you that it is brought to us, so that we might know with certainty that you are our Lord and Saviour. Lord, as we look into these accounters over the next few weeks, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes, our ears, and our hearts afresh to have fresh encounters with you. In Jesus' name, amen. You should have a batting order, and you'll see that we're going to be looking at this encounter under three headings. Firstly, by looking through the lens of the Pharisee and then the sinful woman, we're going to consider two ways of seeing Jesus. Secondly, we'll look at the results of seeing Jesus. And thirdly, we will consider both their response and ours to seeing Jesus. So, looking at verse 36, the scene is set for dinner for two. And what is setting? Because behind this simple invitation is a huge underlying current. This encounter is recorded fairly early on in Jesus' ministry, but already he has been stirring up the religious leaders with his powerful words and actions. They've seen him heal the paralysed man. Dine with Levi, the tax collector, which to them was unthinkable, as he was a man of such ill repute. And they challenged him healing on the Sabbath, something which only God could do. And at that point, they are described in Luke chapter 6 as furious and discussing with one another what they might do to Jesus. Now in all of these encounters, the Pharisees have been third party onlookers. But tonight, one of them takes center stage. And so Jesus was invited to dinner by Simon the Pharisee. And you can imagine that for Jesus, this was an opportunity not to be missed. Jesus had said previously in the presence of and targeted at the Pharisees, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. But we know that this was not why Simon had invited Jesus to dinner. Because Simon had got some very rose tinted specks on, giving him a distorted view of both himself and Jesus. Through Simon's lens, Jesus was becoming quite a troublemaker, swelling up too much public enthusiasm about repentance, and as a result, undermining his authority as a religious leader one who believed that righteousness came from practicing outward religious practices in the right way at the right time by the right person. Simon, like all the Pharisees, had a very hard heart. He had been watching Jesus change people's lives both physically and spiritually and yet his heart had not been touched by what he had witnessed. So it was time to have Jesus over, set the record straight tell him who's boss, send him on his way. Dinner for two should sort this out nicely. His hardened heart is also revealed by what he obviously and consciously omitted in terms of hospitality. There's no mention of Jesus having his feet washed before dinner by a servant to clean them all, the dust and dirt that he'd acquired on the dusty streets. There's no mention of a kiss to greet the guest. There's no mention of his head being anointed with perfumed oil. And why? Well, because doing these things would have implied that Simon was giving his guest some form of honour at his table. And that was definitely not on his mind. I want us to grasp the enormity of these omissions. Imagine inviting someone to your house for dinner on a dark, wet, rainy, stormy evening, and you leave them to sit all evening at the table with a soaking wet coat on and dirty shoes, and you decline them the option to use the cloakroom to go and wash their hands. How incredibly unwelcome would that guest feel? So with these significant emissions, the scene is set through Simon's distorted view with Jesus reclining at the table with his dirty feet positioned away from the meal. Except that it wasn't dinner for two. A meal such as this would not have been a private occasion, and people were welcome to sort of come and go and watch the proceedings. And enter centre stage, a sinful woman, a prostitute we can assume. For Simon, she would have probably been the most unwelcome guest imaginable, being a woman of ill repute. And then her actions at the table only confirmed this further for him. But unlike Simon, the sinful woman had a very clear view of who Jesus was and who she was in relation to him. She knew that she would not be welcome at the Pharisee's house because she was used to hiding herself away by day. Such was the shame of her profession. But having been at the same encounters with the Pharisees as a third-party onlooker to the Son of God at work, she knew with certainty that she had been forgiven by Jesus for all of her many sins and that he would welcome her. It was for that reason that she courageously and intentionally came to Simon's house having learned that Jesus would be there. Courageously, intentionally, but also humbly, as discreetly positioned at Jesus' feet, her tears flowed, and she wiped his feet with her hair, kissed them, and poured oil all over them, expensive oil, that would undoubtedly have been purchased with her shameful earnings. In short, she did everything that the Pharisee should have done to Jesus, but chose not to. And she did it all, not out of duty or hospitality, but out of love and gratitude. Luke records here one of the most intimate and yet public encounters with Jesus. These acts for the woman were costly and courageous, but such was her love for Jesus in response to the knowledge of her forgiveness. She set aside herself humbly to give honour to him. With a distorted view, Jesus was seen as an inconvenience, a threat, somebody to be overruled. But with a clear view, Jesus was sought out to be worshipped and adored without counting the personal cost which came with such a demonstration of love. And I wonder, what lens are we looking through? Because if we look through the Pharisees' lens we will distort the view of both ourselves and Jesus. We may have been Christians for a while, but perhaps we've now acquired blurred vision about who Jesus is and what he has done for us, and are now perhaps limiting him to a sort of comfort blanket in times of trouble or a time commitment on a Sunday. We will also distort the view of ourselves and see only the righteous, not the sinner, the healthy, not the sick we'll start to rationalise our sin or create some sort of sliding scale of sin depending on what's socially acceptable or or not. Or perhaps start to compare ourselves to others in terms of relative righteousness. Or perhaps you've never really taken a good look at Jesus before and can only see perhaps the Christmas baby or the teacher of parables. Can I encourage you then to keep seeing him through the lens of Luke by reading more about Jesus in the rest of this Gospel? And then ask yourself those two questions again. What does this passage tell me about Jesus? And what does it mean to respond to him? If we look through the lens of the sinful woman, we will have a very clear view of both ourselves and Jesus. We'll recognize where our lives fall short and we will see the Jesus who has forgiven our sins, past, present and future. Like the sinful woman, we will see the only one who can heal us and forgive us, the only one who loves us in spite of what we have done and will do, and in response to this, we too will fall at his feet and respond to our forgiveness with an outpouring of love. There are two ways of seeing Jesus. One is distorted and one is clear. What lens are you looking through? Let's now look at the results of seeing Jesus. And firstly, in this encounter... Well, the first thing to say that is common to both the Pharisee and the sinful woman is that Jesus saw through to the heart. Verse 39 tells us that Simon was repulsed, not touched by the woman's response to Jesus, repulsed by both him and her. She had done things in public in his presence that were unacceptable, such as letting down her hair. And he was repulsed by Jesus letting an unclean woman touch him. All of this was going against his plan for dinner and was undermining his standing and his authority. But whilst he muttered his thoughts to himself, though, verse 40 says, Jesus answered him. See, Jesus knew exactly what was going on through his head, exactly what had motivated him to dine with Jesus, exactly how he saw himself and how he saw the sinful woman. Jesus could see clearly his distorted view. Jesus could also see clearly to the heart of the woman. In verse 50, he said, Your faith has saved you. Go in peace. He knew that her heart had been transformed, that her acts of love were not to seek forgiveness for her sinful life, but in response to her safe and secure knowledge that in Christ she had already been forgiven. And knowing what motivated them, Jesus responded in three ways first to the pharisee to get his attention by telling a parable a safe but very powerful way of engaging him in the reality of what was happening in his very own house and Simon was able to judge the outcome of that parable absolutely bang on in verse 33 you've judged correctly but he still couldn't see the blindingly obvious parallel to his own encounter with jesus such was his hardened heart so secondly Jesus made a direct comparison between the Pharisee and the sinful woman. And in doing so, he cleared the distorted view of the Pharisee and he reinforced the clear view of the woman. And thirdly, making this comparison, Jesus acknowledged the love shown by the sinful woman and made a public declaration that her sins were forgiven. Her faith had brought her to his feet But this public affirmation must have been so hugely encouraging and significant for her. She, who was so publicly despised, was now publicly pardoned and restored. Now the results of seeing Jesus stemmed from their view of themselves and of him, which was a mirror to the state of their hearts. You see, the Pharisee had no sense of any debt to Jesus. No need for forgiveness for his outwardly religious but inwardly sinful life and therefore showed no love or even basic hospitality. But the sinful woman desperately needed to be forgiven and could see that Jesus had freed her from the power of her sins and she just had to be in his presence and love and love him with love flowing from that immense gratitude for her saved and transformed life. J.C. Ryle, who was Bishop of Liverpool in the late 19th century, describes the love shown to Jesus by the sinful woman as this It was the effect of her forgiveness, not the cause. The consequence of her forgiveness, not the condition. The result of her forgiveness, not the reason. The fruit of her forgiveness, not the root. Let's fully understand the relationship between the forgiveness Jesus offers. And our love for him. We do not need to love Jesus in order to earn our forgiveness. It's impossible to earn it. But when we see Jesus clearly, and when we see our own sin clearly, and the debt that has been paid for us by Jesus, we respond in love. For the Pharisee, a low and feeble sense of sin produced a low and feeble sense of the need for salvation. But for the sinful woman, a clear sense of having her sins forgiven was the lifeblood of her love to Christ. What are the results for us of seeing Jesus? Well, he sees through to our hearts too. Psalm 139 beautifully describes the God who knows the thoughts in our hearts and the words from our mouths before we do. He knows when we serve him or others out of duty rather than joy. He knows when we rely on our own strength and not his. But he also understands our weaknesses, our desire to love him, but our sinful nature that so often causes ourselves to love ourselves more. Even Paul wrote of this continual struggle in Romans chapter 7. But let's be thankful that even when we look to Jesus with poor focus, His view of us is always clear and perfect, and his love for us will never diminish, even when we fail to welcome him into our lives. In love, he makes us aware of the sins in our lives, but in love too, he remembers them no more. Through the cross, he publicly affirmed our redemption and restored our relationship with God. So let's look to the example of the sinful woman and remind ourselves daily that seeing Jesus through the lens of forgiveness leads to a life of love. Let's never stop being amazed by the power of the cross to defeat that hold that sin can have over us once and for all. Let's never stop being thankful for the presence of the Holy Spirit within us to guide us and encourage us. And let's keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Then we will live lives of love, overflowing with thankfulness. So we've looked at the ways of seeing Jesus, and we've looked at the results of seeing him. What does this passage, though, tell us about our response to Jesus? What does it look like to live a life of love? Well, we know that the sinful woman came to Jesus already knowing her sins were forgiven. Her encounter with him was intentional as she knew where to find him, and the unwelcome nature of the venue did not deter her. We know that she intended to anoint Jesus as she came with a jar of oil. And we can see from the passage that she came in great humility. Cleaning Jesus' feet would have been the job of a servant, and she didn't consider herself worthy enough to stand in front of him, but rather rest at his feet. It's also clear that in coming to him, she offered him everything. Her possessions, her emotions, and her love. And the expression of her love to Christ mirrors the expression of his love to us. When Jesus died on the cross, he intentionally suffered for the sins of us all. Throughout his ministry, he made it very clear that he understood that his mission on earth would be complete only through his death. He gave himself in humility, as emphasised no more clearly than when he himself washed the feet of his disciples, before suffering a death assigned only to the worst of all criminals, even though he had committed no sin. He gave everything for one reason, that God's redemptive plan for his people won't be fulfilled and we could enjoy a restored relationship with our creator. So it's clear how we should respond to the forgiveness poured out in abundance to us. Firstly, with intention. Intentionally spending time in the presence of God each day. Intentionally seeking forgiveness of our sins. Intentionally giving thanks for the many blessings poured out on us. Intentionally building our relationship with God through the reading of his word and prayer. Are you seeking Jesus with intention? Secondly, with humility. There's no point coming to the God who sees our hearts with a mask on. Let's come as we are and bring before him our weaknesses, our fears, our struggle, our pride and our hearts. And place them at his feet, just like the sinful woman. Are you seeking Jesus with humility? And thirdly, offering everything. Not just the parts of life that we feel comfortable handing over. Not just a portion of our time. Not just the money or the possessions that we won't really miss. Not just some of our identity. Not just the emotions we can control. Not just a piece of our hearts. Are we seeking Jesus with everything? Now to do this does mean taking off the rose-tinted specks to see ourselves as we really are. But you know what? When we do that, we get an even clearer view of our Lord Jesus. The more clearly we see his love for us and the forgiveness he brings, the more wholeheartedly we will love him. So at the end of our first encounter with Jesus in Luke's Gospel for the summer, can we see this passage through the lens of Luke and ask ourselves two questions? Do you know how much you are forgiven by Jesus? Stop and consider afresh each day the sacrifice he made for the forgiveness of your sins and come to him in humility, recognising the debt that he paid for you. Otherwise, like the Pharisee, a slight sense of our debt to God will always be reflected by our slight sense of what we give to him. And secondly, are you loving in response to his grace? Because like the sinful woman, when our hearts fully grasp the enormity of God's grace, freely given through Jesus, our hands will fully engage in loving action to God and his people. Let us see Jesus clearly and love him in response through all that he calls us to do. Amen.
1: Thank you, Sarah. We have a lot to think about. Um, it was excellent. Um, what I want to do now is, I think it's a very powerful story. The, um, listening and thinking about that woman and what she went through in the Pharisee. So I want us to take some time and respond in our hearts before we worship. Take some time to think about our own hearts. In the end, there's two powerful questions. Um, do you know how much you've been forgiven? And do you love in response to that grace? What I want to do is take some time where we just close our eyes and we bring our own hearts to God. We bring the only the the things that we carry, the things that we have in our own lives. And I want to take us through a time where I pray with you and for you as we think about these things. And then we're going to lead into worship. So if you're comfortable, just close your eyes and enter in prayer as you feel comfortable. We'll start with the time of silence.